Now, I understand weddings are an important event where we spend a lot It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop would... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Firm foundation for 
I did too. I didn't go yesterday or today. I was like, this is the winter camp that I don't go to breakfast in. My life is a lot better. Yeah, I was like, I did not it miss is it. Better. Did not it's miss totally it. Better. Yeah. I don't really eat like a big breakfast anyway. Like I'll eat something. Yeah, I'll like a granola bar. Yeah. And we just eat lunch. So I'll big have to yes, it's like, I love so I'll bad. eat like an apple and I'm yeah. good. All right, guys, let's go ahead and stand up. We're gonna do something called acapella worship this morning, meaning we've stripped it down. It's just us and our voices. So we got three songs for you, um, pretty easy to follow along with, but the words should be on the screen too. Perfect. All right, the first song we're gonna sing is called Firm Foundation. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I know I can stand secure, Jesus, you're my firm foundation, I put my hope in your holy word, I put my hope in your holy word, I have a living hope, I have a living hope, I have a living hope, I have a future, I have a future, God has a plan for me, God has a plan for of this I'm sure, of this I'm sure, Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I know I can stand secure, Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I put my hope in your holy word, I put my hope in your holy word. Your word is faithful. Your word is faithful. Mighty in power. Mighty in power. God will deliver me. God will deliver me. Of this I'm sure. Of this I'm sure. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I know I can stand secure. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I put my hope in your holy word. I put my hope in your... Let's sing Jesus one more time. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I know I can stand secure. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. 
I put my hope in your holy word. I put my hope in your holy I put my hope. I put my hope in your holy word. I put my hope in your holy word. All right, we're going to sing a song called Shine, Jesus, Shine. Lord, the light of your love is shining in the midst of the darkness, shining. Jesus, light of the world, shine upon us. Set us free by the truth you now bring us. Shine on me. Shine on me. Shine, Jesus, shine. Fill this land with the Father's glory. Blaze, Spirit, blaze. Set our hearts on fire. Flow, river, flow. Flood the nations with grace and mercy. Send forth your word, Lord, and let them. Be light. Lord, I come to your awesome presence from the shadows into your radiance. By the blood, I may answer your brightness. Search me, try me, consume all my darkness. Shine on me. Shine on me. Shine, Jesus, shine. Fill this land with the Father's glory. Blaze, Spirit, blaze. Set our hearts on fire. Flow, river, flow. Flood the nations with grace and mercy. Send forth your word. Lord, and let there be light. As we gaze on your kingly brightness, so our faces display your likeness, ever changing from glory to glory. Mirrored here, may our lives tell your story. Shine on me. Shine on me. Shine, Jesus, shine. Fill this land with the Father's glory. Blaze, Spirit, blaze. Set our hearts on fire. Flow, river, flow. Flood the nations with grace and mercy. Send forth your word. Lord, and let this send forth your word. Send forth your word. Lord, and let there be light. Okay, this next one is called I Will Call Upon the Lord, and it's a call and response. So we'll echo pretty much, we'll echo the verses in the chorus. We'll all sing together.
I will call upon the Lord, I will call upon the Lord. who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The Lord lived. You know the Lord liveth. And blessed be the rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth. And blessed be the rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. Jesus Christ, he died for me. And he took away my sin. I will live with him for eternity. You know the Lord liveth. And blessed be the rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth. And blessed be the rock and let the God of my salvation be. Let's sing, I will call. I will call upon the Lord. Who is worthy to be praised? So shall I be saved from my enemies. You know the Lord liveth. And blessed be the rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth, and blessed be the rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he died for me, and he took away my sin. I will live with him for eternity. You know the Lord liveth, and blessed be the rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth. And blessed be the rock and let the God of my salvation be. Let's sing that one more time. The Lord liveth. And blessed be the rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth. And blessed be the rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. I will call upon the Lord. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. back on. Okay, I'm just going to intro. Um, Sirac and Sandra can, can start making their way up here and getting set up. Uh, they're going to be speaking this morning. And then uh, here in a little while, Garrett and I will, will uh, take the stage after we take a break. Um, but yeah, we are going to be talking about dating this morning. We think it's a, a super important topic, a very relevant topic. Um, but, but we do this not just because it's, uh, you know, a, an applicable topic, but really is a case study in discipleship. I don't think, uh, one, one of the challenges I have with so much of the Christian stuff on dating is that there is no call to discipleship in it. There is no call to deny yourself and follow Jesus. It's just how can you get the best for you? Just like Jesus taught, right guys? You know, and so we, but we just put this kind of Christian veneer 
on it. And that's not what we're going to do today. There is going to be a call to follow Jesus because of a deep conviction that following Jesus is always the best way, even if it seems counterintuitive at the time. Uh, we have a limited amount of time, and so there's things we can do this morning, and there's things we can't do. Uh, this topic is obviously incredibly personal and complicated. One of the things we're not going to be able to delve into with any depth this morning is um, issues around same-sex attraction and some of those things. We're going to be talking generally, uh, you know, about dating between men and women. Uh, those are, but, but there's going to be a million different exceptions to that, and, and we're going to handle those like we do most things in our community, one-on-one -on -one and in relationships and grappling with how do I apply these principles to my specific situation because there's so many of those. Uh, we have people in our community sometimes who've already been married before. We have people who've been through different kinds of abuse. We have people, you know, across all of the spectrum. And uh, each of those things are going to have to try to figure out, how do I uh, figure that out? And how do I please God given my situation? So uh, a lot of our advice today, especially when we get to the end and Garrett and I are actually giving some more specific advice, is going to be targeted at 18 and 19-year-olds. Uh, it's going to be targeted about younger people. We're not uh, necessarily trying to give advice for, you know, someone who's been in a five-year relationship. Uh, you know, you're, you're down the road from a lot of this. But the broad uh, group of our community hasn't been in a five-year relationship. And they're looking to start relationships. And so we're going to give advice kind of targeting that. So I just want to give all of that because, you know, otherwise the person in the five-year relationship is like, do I need to break up and start over? I'm like, no, we're not asking you to do that. Uh, you've got to do what every disciple has to do, which is figure out how do I contextualize this Christian thing given my situation? And, and how do I listen to God and hear from him in all of this? Uh, and then the one other thing, um, actually I wanna say two more things. Um, one is I do wanna encourage you to take notes. We, we gave you a handout and that's really just to kind of you know, you to be able to follow along and, and kind of keep track and have the scriptures that we use and, and those kinds of things. But you can take notes there or you can take notes, you know, in your phone or wherever, but take them somewhere that, that you would be likely to look back at them or have access to them. And then the one other thing I want to say is just, um, you know, one of my, my biggest pet peeves, um, but I'm trying to kind of reclaim it, is when people talk about focus dating. Well, there's focus dating, and then there's what, real dating? I don't know. If, if real dating is the other thing, I don't really want to be associated with it, so maybe I should take it as a compliment. Um, it's a completely failed system. Um, but uh, our, our goal here is not that we as focus have some sort of different you know, thing. We do want to be different. That's what Jesus called his church a city on a hill. You know, he said we're supposed to be salt, um, but we're not being different just to kind of be different or unique. Uh, our goal is to, to teach each of you to date as a disciple. And that does not mean that we think that's going to look the same for every single one of you. It means that the heart is going to be the same for every single one of you. And if the heart is the heart of Christ, we will date differently and we will look differently from the world around us. And sadly, even from most of the church. Because again, there's just a lack of good teaching on this. I've been looking for 20 years for someone who wrote a book on dating that had some sort of call to discipleship in it, and I have yet to find one. One. It's just selfish, warmed over, worldliness crap with a Christian 
painting over the top of it. And I don't like it. So we're going to do our own thing this morning. So Sirach and Sandra are going to lead us, and uh, I'll say a prayer for us, and then hopefully the Spirit will move in all of our hearts. God, I want to pray that you uh, speak to us this morning. I want to pray wherever we are, single or married, dating, not interested in dating, uh, a clear direction or wrestling with our own sense of identity and sexuality and who we are, uh, that each one of us would hear uh, the words of Jesus to uh, deny ourselves, to take up our cross every day and to follow, and that you would give us uh, some insight into what the next step following on that road looks like. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, good morning. Good morning to the sexiest talk of winter camp. Um, yeah, so uh, right now, I think I think we're trying to figure out if we're standing, we're sitting. Sirach's confused. He has two I just, chairs up I here. Just like, I, I just like options. So I might have a cajon to sit on. I might have a stool. I might have a chair. I might have a drum set. We'll see. <laughs> but right now, I'm feeling standing. Okay. If we get tired, we'll sit down. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, I'm going to sit down. I'm just joking. <laughs> so, um, yeah. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Sirach. I'm on staff at Dallas College Richland campus. Yeah. And I'm, I'm 33 years old. My dating resume is, I'm just joking, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> Sandra. Do you guys want his dating resume? <laughs> well, okay. it, started, it started in sixth grade. Her name, her name was Graciela Lopez. I think there's a spin the bottle story with Graciela, isn't there? Do you, do you want to know a funny story? When I was in sixth, this is, in, in sixth grade, I had my first experience of infatuation. Her name was Grace Lopez. She was sitting across from me in just like library reading hours. And I remember she stared at me for like 45 minutes. <laughs> but I did, never looked back at her. I just kept reading my book because, you know, you don't want to look back. You just got to let them stare at you. <laughs> and then I remember hearing her whisper to herself, you are so bad. <laughs> This was back when I lived. This was back when I lived in Toronto, and so I don't know. I, I guess girls in Canada. I don't know, but we're friends on Facebook. She's doing well. That's my. That's my. That's, that's the start. It. That's the start of my resume. We'll stop. We'll, we'll stop. Stop there. Okay. Um, yeah, and I'm Sandra. I'm also work. I also work at Dallas College Richland and Brookhaven. And uh, you said your age, so do I have to say my age too? I guess I am 30 years old. Um, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, and I also won't give you my dating resume, but uh, you will be hearing some, oh, I guess I should keep it a secret. There'll be some fun stuff going on throughout our talk. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear that. Yeah, and so a quick reminder, we're gonna have a Q&A time at the, end of our, at, at the end of the dating talk today. And so I think we have a question box towards the back for uh, if you have any questions throughout the day, the content that we're sharing. And if you, we actually, we do not have a question box. We are not gonna do a question box. Uh, Brandon and Garrett are going to uh, pick questions from the audience. Gotcha, okay, so cool. So they're just gonna go for it. Cool, but, but this, this is a topic that I'm really excited for us to talk about. I came to follow Jesus whenever I was a student at Collin College way back in, two, in 2006. And uh, I was raised in church. I was raised with the idea that, you know, I want to be a Christian. But in a lot of ways, my life looked nothing like uh, the way scripture taught. 
And I remember when I came to winter camp uh, my first year, Jeff Mumley and Jessica Mumley came. And it was the first time in my life that I heard uh, two, two people, a married couple, share about their experience following Jesus as they dated each other and how that influenced their relationship with each other. And it was the first time in my life that I had to ask myself, how is my behavior influencing who I'm going to become? Because I've always been the kind of person who had a vision for who I wanted to be, but I felt like, my, but I, felt like I, I had no direction or a way to change the current habits and behaviors of my life. And my current habits and behaviors of freshman Serac, uh, those dating habits and practices were very worldly and they were very selfish. And I remember being challenged and stretched in a way that really broadened and expanded the way that um, I viewed my sisters in Christ, the way that I viewed myself, and that the way that I, I viewed God, the way that I viewed God wanted to influence every area of my, of my life. So I'm really excited for those of you who are here yeah. who are hearing this talk for the first time or engaging with this content for the first time. I speak as someone who has been really influenced by these ideas and challenged by, by them, and my prayer is that we would, we, we would too. Yeah, and just to add on to that, yeah, I became a Christian through Focus at UNT. Um, so I started, when was it? Started? Yeah, go Eagles. Um, yeah, so I came with a very, like, worldly and, like, a messed up view on dating. And, and for those first couple years when I started, you know, thinking about, like, dating for disciples at UNT. And I think, actually, Jeff was the first, like, dating talk in, like, the Christian context that I, like, heard at a winter camp in 2011. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, and I just remember it took me a long time to adopt uh, that kind of thinking. Like, there was a part of me that was like, yeah, like, I follow Jesus now, but I'm going to date however I want because it's what I was used to. And, um, yeah, and it just caused a lot of, like, hurt and a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of pain, like, towards me and towards others. And, um, yeah, hopefully this, I think this this conversation this morning will prevent some of that. And will have you just rethinking the way that uh, you date. There's also, it's probably going to be challenging. There's probably going to be a lot of like unlearning to uh, how you've done dating up to this point. So yeah, we're really excited to talk with you guys this morning. Yeah, other than our decision to follow Jesus, the decision to pick and choose who we spend the rest of our lives with as a romantic partner is also up there as one of the most important decisions we will ever make. And my prayer is that we wouldn't just be observers of dating, mm. but that we would be students of what godly dating is and what it can, can be. Because when we're stepping out of the world and into a relationship with following Christ, yeah, just like Sandra said, there's a good amount of learning to happen, but there's a lot of unlearning, you know, a lot of unlearning habits that we've bought into, ideas that we've believed, um, different, just, I don't, I don't know, things that we have determined are true because we've seen it in a movie or heard it in a song or saw it in our family. So let's hold a lot of those loosely as we engage with, with this con content. And we, we do this talk every other year, and there is, we, we love to laugh, we love to play, we love to joke, there's a lot of sarcasm here, so we encourage you to kind of laugh along with us. This really is fun. It's fun to laugh at yourself. It's fun to look at the things that you believe and go, huh, I believe that. Whoa, I believe that. <laughs> I believe that, you know? It's, so, and we're going to be hearing stories from our focus staff of dating situations we've gotten into over the years. So this will be a little bit close it's to spicy. home for us. But we were in your place at one point in our lives, and we had to learn as well, which we are still learning. So. Yeah.
we forgot to intro our our uh, talk. It's it's dating for disciples. But you can go to the next slide. Our actual title is. So Rack and Sandra's 12-week baby be your better self-dating plan. Mm. <laughs> That's what it is. Week one, first date. Week 12, married with kids. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no. Week, week, week 13, <laughs> you, you I need want to take my that money back. back. <laughs> you need to take that back. <laughs> I think it's your, your turn. <laughs> All right, so this first blank we're going to have for Romans 12.2, Romans 12.2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And this is the first blank. We have to think differently to live differently. We have to think differently to live differently. Our thoughts influence the way we behave. Our thoughts influence the way that we feel. And if we're gonna feel and behave differently, our thoughts have to be changed. I think that's what scripture means by be renewed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're supposed to look differently. The question is, is do you look any different from the world? We're supposed to think differently. Do you think any differently from the world? We're supposed to feel differently about things do you feel any different about the brokenness of the world than, say, someone who doesn't follow Christ would? Yeah, so before we get started with our sections, we're going to take a couple of minutes to, uh, yeah, think through some questions with the people around you. And we actually have a slide. Um, we're going to take five minutes with two or three people around you to just get your brain flowing and thinking about dating. So we have, yeah, these questions are, what's wrong with the world or modern church pattern on dating? Who does it hurt? Does it consistently produce lasting and happy marriages? Does it lead to community unity? Does it lead to purity for most people? So yeah, take time. We'll come back and start with a video. So let's do five minutes with two or three people around you to discuss these questions. Five minutes, go. Check, check. I just started a timer. Good job, bud. What time do we need to be done by? After this, yeah. I don't know what she said. I see. Really?
Okay, let's start coming back. And then we have a video that we're showing next. So let's come back, let's come back, let's watch this. Shh. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like there's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just... Don't! Try to see things my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go? guys that is that's good that's art I guess yeah that's art <laughs> every um, that sentence had no substance let's go to the next idea so let's go to the let's go to the T chart <laughs> let's go to the T chart we're looking at and this so this chart is on the left side it says worldly thinking says on the right side it says godly thinking says and so we're gonna be contrasting two different um, ideas or viewpoints that may clash with each other. Because I think the more you, it's, it's, it's sort of like when you visit a new, a new country, you're immediately aware of the country you're from. You're like, whoa, they do this here. But you're aware of it because you become aware of what you do back home. And honestly, what we do back home, we're not aware of until we go somewhere, somewhere else. And I think as we follow Jesus and we start to ascribe to his teachings and follow him and learn to love him, we're going to see just how in contrast his teachings are to the way that we've been living. So this first box underneath worldly thinking says, 
It says natural equals authentic. Natural equals authentic. And I'm going to read a quote. Oh, we actually have it on the slide. It's going to be a little fun trivia. So we're going to have a quote on the screen, and we're going to be guessing the source of the quote. So this quote says, I hate the way you talk to me and the way you curl your hair. I hate the way you drive my car. I hate it when you stare. I hate your big dumb combat boots and the way you read my mind. I hate you so much it makes me sick. It even makes me rhyme. <laughs> I hate it. I hate the way you're always right. I hate it when you lie. I hate it when you make me laugh. Even worse, when you make me cry. I hate it when you're not around and the fact that you didn't call. But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close, not even a little bit, not even at all. Okay. So by, by a round of applause, raise your, clap if you think it's from The Notebook. The Notebook. Okay. okay. 10 Things I Hate About You. <laughs> Garrett's Valentine's Day poem to Erica. <laughs> and John 2-7. <laughs> The correct answer is B, B, 10 things I hate about you. <laughs> and it was actually both Garrett's Valentine's Day poem to Erica and from 10 things I hate about yeah. you. So there's two correct answers. And even if that was John 2, 7, that's like a really long verse. So. <laughs> and godly thinking says unnatural equals authentic. So worldly thinking says natural is authentic. Godly thinking says unnatural is authentic. So let's think about that for a second. Unnatural is authentic because it takes time and it takes hard work to get to know someone. Think about it. Everyone in this room is here presenting a side of themselves that they want us to see. Yeah. But when you're considering dating, pursuing, marrying someone, it takes purpose and discernment to get to know the parts of them that you may potentially be living with for the rest of your life. It takes good questions to ask someone. It takes good conversation because human beings are exceptional at being deceitful. In marriage, you're gonna have to love someone even when you don't feel like it. Even when the most natural thing that you feel like doing is walking away. Even when the most natural thing you feel like doing is not listening to them, yeah. not serving them. I, I, I remember I was mentoring a student who was going on a few, on a few dates and um, they both had the most fun dates ever. I mean, they would have these four-hour conversations on dinner, over dinner, going for a walk afterwards, texting throughout the week. Just, let's just say, let me, let me talk Gen Z. The vibes were there, okay? <laughs> and then around date number five, date number six, I asked them, hey, you know, do they go to church? Like, do you, do you know if they go to church any, any, anywhere? And they said, oh, I don't, we haven't talked about that yet. Then we talked about it more, and I, and I asked them, well, do you want to eventually go to church when you're married? And she, they said, yeah, you know, I'd like my spouse to be consistent in a church and, and, val and value it as a part in their life. And so I just said, you should ask them. On your next date, ask them what their relationship with going to church is, is like. So the next date, they did, and the, and the, the person said, yeah, I, don't, I don't really value church. I mean, I, I follow Jesus, but the whole idea of going to church on Sunday waking up in the morning, consistently going, I'll, I'll, I'll go on Easter, I'll go once a month or so. 
And then they came back to me and said, why'd you make me ask that question? We were having so much fun. It was so natural. But I think they went on a few more dates after that. But, but once you kind of see something in someone that contradicts a value that you hold, that you believe is a big part of your faith, it's hard to unsee some yeah. of those things. And it takes doing the unnatural thing to maybe get a look at those. So godly thinking says unnatural is authentic. Denying yourself doesn't feel natural. In fact, indulging yourself feels natural. Emptying yourself doesn't feel natural. Well, let's go to the next one. This is underneath natural equals authentic. This one is, it's my business. But this quote, it's, if you love someone, you tell them. Even if you're scared that it's not the right thing. Even if you're scared that it'll cause problems. Even if you're scared that it'll burn your life to the ground, you say it. And you say it loud and you go from, from there. So Ooh, this, is, this is hard. This is challenging. So clap if you think it's from A, Schmidt, new girl. Okay. B, <laughs> Seeing God, Seeing You by Ronnie Worsham. <laughs> C, Psalm 49. <laughs> it's okay. And D, McSteamy. <laughs> it is McSteamy. McSteamy. <laughs> Worldly thinking says, it's my business. Worldly thinking says, it's my business. You feel something, it's natural, you do it. I don't care, it's my business. You tell someone you love them, even if it ruins their life and your life. <laughs> Godly thinking says, it's our business. It's our business. And with, what, what, what this means is as, as we date, we involve loving, trusted friends, mentors, accountability partners, people to ask you how your date went. Because when you're infatuated, I can't think of a more, I guess, appropriate word. When you're infatuated, you're kind of crazy. And, so, and sometimes having people in your life to ask you about the crazy is good. It's very it good. It is good. Worldly thinking says it's my business. Godly thinking says it's our business. Are you doing the next one, Sandra, or am I doing it? Uh, I can do it. Go for it. Okay, so the next one is follow your heart. So we have one more. Well, actually, we have multiple more. Okay, so the quote from this, I couldn't sleep last night because I know that it's over between us. I'm not bitter anymore because I know that what we had was real. And if in some distant place in the future we see each other in our new lives, I'll smile at you <laughs> with joy <laughs> with joy and remember how we spent the summer beneath the trees, mm. learning from each other and growing in love. The best love is the kind that awakens the soul and makes us reach for more, that plants a fire in our hearts and, bring peace to our, and brings peace to our minds. And that's what you've given me. That's what I hope to give you forever. I love you. I'll be seeing you. Okay. Amen. So... A, 51st days. Okay. B, Pride and Prejudice. C, Judges 5. <laughs> D, Ryan Bristow. It's actually none of those. It is the notebook. 
But Ryan Bristow, I think, did use it on Nicole, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. So, yeah, for this one, godly thinking says follow your heart. Worldly thinking. Worldly thinking says follow your heart. Godly thinking says... I'm, okay, you guys are. Y'all are awake. Y'all know that wasn't true. Okay, godly thinking said God's word judges my heart. Please say it again. Worldly thinking is... I follow, follow your heart, follow your heart. Godly thinking said, says God's word judges my heart. Yeah, so the verse that comes to mind with this is Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and who can know it? So that means like, you know, often our, our heart tricks us to, you know, believe things or to, uh, you know, follow things that might not be good or right for us or might not be what God wants for us. Deceitful means that uh, you can conceal or mis misrepresent truth. We don't lean on and completely follow our heart because it's unpredictable. One day my heart might want Coke. The other day it might want Dr. Pepper. I don't know. You know, I can't, I can't follow that. I don't know what's the, why that was the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> but yeah, but what is true and what's reliable is God's word. And that's what should be influencing our hearts. And then the next one, we have got worldly thinking says, it's my right. And so the next movie quote for that is, I love you and I always, always want to be close to you. But being my best friend doesn't give you the right to tell me who I can love. Mm. Okay, so A, clap if you think that's from Crazy Rich Asians. Okay. B, Little Women. See the kissing booth. <laughs> I haven't seen that. I didn't see that. D to all the boys I loved before. Okay, the answer is C. <laughs> okay, so when worldly thinking says it's my right, godly thinking says what pleases my Lord. Yeah, and this is as basic as if you choose to follow Jesus, you like your rights don't matter. You've given those that up. You've given that up. You know, we have rights here in America that we don't have as disciples. Like, I have the right to free speech, but that doesn't mean that I have a secret Twitter account where I bash Sirac. Like, that's not, I, I can't do that. That's not my right as a disciple. <laughs> I so, don't know why. I don't Tim, have that. I'm going to be honest with you. I read my notes as you, and I heard my name at the end of your sentence. What did you say? <laughs> okay, it's okay. Okay, it's a little off. <laughs> But yeah, what pleases the Lord, it's about what is right and what is useful, what's beneficial. It's about what is helpful for others and not just about being selfish and what's helpful for us. It's not about what I can get away with saying or doing to others. And if dating, if your only concern is your rights, then that's not really a mature concern for you to have. Mm -hmm. And then the last box here uh worldly thinking says go hard and go hard and go home or two, go home I think we have two more go boxes. hard or go home oh go hard or go home and then godly thinking says patience and carefulness are key patience and carefulness are key and so the the first thing i don't know i don't know if gen z watches friends but the first thing i thought of with go go hard and go home there's a scene where monica goes on a first date and they go to Italy to eat pizza. 
<laughs> and I think that, like, you know, as much, like, we know how ridiculous that is, but there's a part of us like, oh, what I would give, like, if I could, like, live that, if I could experience that. But, yeah, I, I think that so much of, like, movies and shows, like, they do condition us for, like, big gestures. Like, we really desire, like, these extravagant, spontaneous dates. But that doesn't mean that uh, that is the wisest thing for us to do. You know, I think with the new year starting, maybe for some of y'all that are single, you're like, oh, it's you're on the hunt. You're like, go hard or go home and with anyone, you know, like anyone. It's Valentine's Day is coming up and I it's cuffing season and I need someone, <laughs> you know, and um, yeah. And that's not that's we need wisdom when it comes to pursuing dating. It requires for us to slow down. It requires observing and paying attention to the people that we are interested in dating. It requires us asking good questions and, and noticing things about them. And then the last thing is worldly thinking says, take what I can get. And godly thinking says, use discernment. And so for our last quote, about three things I was absolutely positive. First, <laughs> that he was a vampire. Second, <laughs> there was a part of him, I didn't know how potent that part might be that thirsted for my blood. <laughs> and third, I was unconditionally and irre irrevocably in love with him. I mean, y'all know this. <laughs> Say it with me, come on. <laughs> yeah, that is indeed from Twilight, but don't you wish that it was Sarah? <laughs> okay, yeah, so with this one, using discernment. So if you are, you know, 18 and you are desperate, all I have to say, you, say to you is chill out, okay? You're okay. Your ability to know and understand others, like it's still being shaped, it's still being formed because I like, I'm 30 years old, I'm single and sure as heck, like what I wanted at 18 is not what I wanted at 30 mm. and thank goodness for that. Amen. Like, thank goodness for that. Um, yeah, we're constantly changing. Like what, what we're attracted to, what we're interested in, what's important to us. It's no longer, it's not like, I don't know, like, well, I'm trying to think what I liked at, at 18. I was like, oh, like they have to be like a musician. Like that's not like at the top of my list anymore. Like that's no longer on the list, I should say that. Um, I don't even know why that was important. I, I'm not a musician, but that was like what I was attracted to. <laughs> um, but yeah, but this is also, um, this point of using discernment is also why it's important living in community. Sometimes the people around us, our friend in our community, they notice things about the people that we're interested in that we don't notice. Um, I remember there was this time in college, I lived in, in Denton, these apartments called the Arbors with a bunch of girls and, and <laughs> 413. Um, but yeah, there was this moment that I was like interested in this guy and, and my friend Chelsea Davis was like, why? Like, he's kind of, he's kind of like not, he's kind of gross. She didn't say that, but like, that was, she was trying to get me to think like, it's like, is he like, does he love Jesus? Like, is, like, why is he a core for this year? Were, were those good reasons and stuff? But it took her to, like, tell me that for me to, like, open my eyes and, like, realize, like, oh, like, what the heck? Like, why am I even interested in this guy? Um, but, yeah, like, that's the important. There was a lot of, uh, I had to use a lot of discernment, but also had to rely on community to, like, to let me, help me see those things. So, yeah, using discernment requires a lot of praying. 
praying for direction, praying for wisdom, uh, asking those around you that know you and know that person what they, and ask them what they think. Yeah, don't take what you can get. Be discerning. Amen. And so moving into our goals for you in dating, some of our goals, this first blank is, do you tend to go for okay, good, or best? Do you tend to go for okay, good, or best? What would need to change in your heart and life for you to be someone who goes for best? And what I mean by best is not just the best person out. I mean, to go for God's best to go for God's standard for your life. Because I feel that over the years, I've met some students who are convinced that I want to ma- marry a 10. I want to marry a 10 in intellect, humor, sex appeal, spirituality, and their obsession with me. I want them to be a 10 in all of those areas. And notice how not one of them was, I want someone who's a 10 out of 10 and following and loving Jesus. I think best for each of us, going for best for each of us, looks like laying down the crap that we've picked up from the world along the way. Yeah. And there, this isn't a one size fits all because for each of us, for some of us in this room, it's very different. Some of us in this room are convinced that we deserve, yeah, that 10 out of 10 like I described. But then there are some people in this room who are, who are convinced, I'm not even worthy of love. Who would want to date me? Who would want to be interested in me rom- romantically? Both of those types of, both of the people that I described need to, need to know, first of all, that they are both worthy of love, but the right kind of love. The kind of love that God's going to provide whether if it's in a romantic relationship or not, but first need to internalize that I deserve God's love first and foremost. Because if you're going by God's standards, maybe the first thing he's trying to show you is that he wants to develop you into the kind of person that can love in the right way. You're worthy of the love of our creator because if you go into a romantic relationship unsure if you're worthy of love or if you go into a romantic relationship thinking, I deserve the love of love for my 10 out of 10, then you may end up making your partner God to you when that's never who they were supposed to to be. Do you tend to go for okay, good, or best? And our next blank is, some of our goals is making and maturing disciples. Making and maturing disciples. The process of maturing as a disciple is a lifelong process. Becoming a disciple for any area of your life is hard, and it's a bit disorienting. And dating should be no different. It's disorienting to think, how does a godly person date? And to start adjusting your life to that. I referenced that winter camp back in 2007 that Jeff Mumley and Jessica came, came to, and, and they, they shared a quote from a book called Sacred Marriage. And there was a quote that they shared then that disoriented me. And maybe that was the purpose of the quote, just to kind of shake me up a little bit. Maybe some of Rick's, I, I love listening to Rick talk because I think the, the thing that Rick Watts does so well is he disorients me, just kind of shakes, shakes me up a little bit and, and kind of leaves me there to help me face myself. So along the way in his talks, if you felt a little disoriented, good, good. It's good to face yourself. It's good to face the things that you believe. 
But I remember Jeff Mumley shared a quote from a book called Sacred Marriage. It said, what if God designed marriage to make you holy instead of happy? What if your relationship isn't as much about you and your spouse as it is about you and God? Imagine 18-year-old Sirach. <laughs> I was like, what? I thought marriage was about sex and babies and, and, and them, you know, listening to me play guitar. <laughs> What's happening? It's disorienting, and sometimes discipleship disorients you. I thought you liked people because it felt good, or you let people like you because it felt good. Because in marriage, when it doesn't feel good, Maybe that's where space for discipleship opens up. You let God make and mature you as a disciple in every area, every area of your life, including dating. This next blank, learning selflessness, learning selflessness, necessary for marriage. Modern dating trains in selfishness. Our goal is for you to learn selflessness. Modern dating trains in selfishness. To be honest, many of us were trained to believe that we're the center of our universe and why should our relationship be any different? Why should my dating relationship be any different? We were trained to believe that we deserve someone that we're interested in simply because of the fact, because we're interested in them and we deserve them, because it's about me. Almost as if the person we're interested in only exists for our pleasure and satisfaction. That's not the heart of a disciple. Um, yeah, our next Blake is great marriages, not just continually married. Um, yeah, and something to say about this is just that being married for a long time is not the victory. You know, if that's your only goal and marriage is to stay married a long time, like you're setting the bar really, really, really low. Um, we want you to have great marriages where you are a blessing to one another. A lot of people, you know, they stay married but are miserable in their marriages. I, you know, just to get real with you, I think about my parents. My parents have been married for 30 years. And, and I think for maybe like over 15 of those, like that, I remember like they were pretty unhappy. And they still are married. But half of the time that they've been married, they were really unhappy. And our hope for you in dating well is that you will have a thriving and a healthy marriage that allows you to become better spouses. So yeah, great marriages, not just to be continually married. And then your next blank is we want to be a ministry that values and cares for everyone involved, not just the cute ones. And so I, like, this one was the hardest where I was like, I could go on a rant about this. Um, so I will just say a couple points. Um, yeah, but we, we want this to be a community where everyone, where each of you, each of you guys, they, you feel valued and you feel seen. And I think um, that when it comes to dating, we can, we can be very selfish on the kinds of people that we ask out. We want to ask out the cute ones, the ones that maybe are the funniest or the loudest, and um, that's what's become important. But it makes me really sad. I never want anyone to go through college and they didn't ask, get asked out because maybe they were a lot more introverted than uh, some of these other people. And yeah, along with, with this point, I was just like, you need to be thinking through, it's like what, uh, I think we should be asking ourselves this question, like, yeah, what kinds of things am I attracted to? Am I asking people that are even like outside of my race? 
you know, like what is, I have one thing I hear, I hear with girls a lot. It's like how height is very important. It's like, well, why? Does that, does height make them holier? Like, I don't think so. <laughs> um, and that is very important. Oh. <laughs> uh. Yeah, so be, yeah, just be asking yourself these questions. I see Jacob going like, let's go. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, yeah, care for everybody that's, that's involved and not just the cute ones. And then the last thing for this section is elevating the high callings of both singleness and marriage in our community. Yeah, we don't want to be a community where people are pressured uh, to get married. You know, we, we want to be a community that elevates both. It's important that we are, you know, we want what God wants for others. And sometimes I think that we, for those that are single, we can often pressure them to get married or to make a decision just because that's what the rest we think that's what the majority of the community looks like, and so therefore, like, everyone should look like them. But scripture reminds us that both are important, that both singleness and marriage are important. God loves marriage, and he wants parents to have kids, and uh, he wants those kids to be raised to love him. But God also loves singleness, and we see that through the life of Jesus and the life of Paul, and their decision to stay single proclaimed that this was like really important to their ministry and that's okay so then the next section in your packet is why dating well is so important right yeah um and then this first blank is problems in society yeah i mean the thing to say about this is that people get married for selfish reasons they end up being selfish in, in their marriage and so it's not surprising to me when you like started off self, you know, dating selfishly, have a selfish marriage, that that ev eventually like leads to divorce. And that's why we want to have a dating culture that is different from the world, because we don't want to be imitating the results that the world has. We want to have results that la last, um, yeah, that turn into long and lasting and, and godly marriages. So we should be building something different while we're in college and the way that we date. Because the way that our culture is dating, like it's proven that it's not working. And why would we want to imitate that? Yes, my turn. Yes, sorry. I was just, I was just feeling it. I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this next blank is problems in the church. Problems in the church. Why dating well is so important is because it can address problems in the, in, the, in the church. I'm finishing a book right now. It's called Deep Nutrition. And it's talking about how, because I've, I've had some different medical issues over the years, and I've seen a few different doctors who have kind of suggested some preventable measures, which um, have kind of uh, made me curious about how our lifestyle and our habits affects our health. And, and in, this, in this book, it was talking about how, how about 90% it was talking about the, the main diseases and health problems that affect Americans, about how so many of them are preventable. That more than 90% of type 2 diabetes, 80% of coronary artery disease, 70% of stroke, 70% of colon cancer are potentially preventable by a combination of non-smoking, avoiding sugar, moderate and physical activity, 
healthy diet, and just little to no alcohol. And in the same way, I've been seeing how this way that God has, I guess, structured our world and the way that we address, address problems, so many of our problems are preventable, preventable. In the same way, problems in the church stemming from selfishness and the way that we treat each other and the way that manifests itself sometimes is in our dating relationships are preventable. These are preventable issues yeah. if we can address them at the root. Now, we're always going to have problems in the church where there are people, there are problems. But what if we, in this room right now, what if we commit to be the men and women of God who are equipped to address these problems? What if we equip ourselves to be the men and women of God into our 20s and our 30s and our 40s and beyond? <laughs> that we can address these problems. Why? Because we prevented them. We prevented them in ourselves. The way we deal with the selfishness of the world depends on how we deal with the selfishness within ourselves. The way we deal with the selfishness in romantic relationships stems from the way we deal with the selfishness and how we go about our romantic relationships. Because if, if we are indifferent, how can we speak to the world about marriage and relationships? Even if we're in church and if we're committing to be a part of the church, the capital C church, the way God is expressing himself in the world through communities of believers, there are gonna be problems there. And I pray that we would be a generation that addresses these problems now because these are preventable. The next blank is problems and individuals. Problems and individuals. And this is, separate, this is separately from, for men and women. Dating is important because it prevents problems in individuals. You can get to know yourself as you date well. As you purposefully get to know someone, ask good questions, you get to know yourself. You get to know what you're interested in. You get to know what you're not interested in. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the, to the full. That maybe Jesus wants you to have a full dating life, a full life, a fun life where he broadens and deepens your experiences and, and, and reveals himself to you. At some point, we're gonna have to face the realization that Jesus is either good or he isn't. He, he's either good or he isn't. That when Jesus says, if you wanna come after me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, that these are gonna help me live a full life. And it'll help prevent a lot of these problems in myself, in society, and in church. And God wants me to be a part of solving those problems. College was a time for me where I began to take ownership of my life and my, and my spiritual path. I began to accept that I'm not a victim. It's not anybody's fault, but it's a decision that I can make to, ch to change and shape the trajectory of my life with the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not a lone sufferer. I have the power to take ownership of the problems that I'm observing and seeing in other people, in the world, and in, and in myself, and that I can do something about it. The problems of dating, the problems in the world, the problems in the church weren't out there, but God was showing me that they were in here. And God wanted to help me shape what was in here. So let's go to this next section. 
This next section is called Dating, Dating for, dummies. for Dummies. As in, these ideas are kind of are dumb. So for this section, we're actually going to have a special, fun, exciting, engaging portion of it. I'm going to call up Austin Gage and Sarah Worsham. They're going to be our volunteers for this time. So like I mentioned earlier, I shared a little bit about how our focus staff, have ha we have many dating stories, stories where there was a blunder, stories where there was maybe a little bit of a mishap, a miscommunication, an embarrassing situation where we had to learn. A situation taught us a lesson that we went forward with in grace. And so we're going to give you guys these anonymous stories that are true. So don't try to guess which focus staff person it is. And we're going to be sharing these stories, teaching these different points. Some of them are going to have an improv scene. Some of them won't. And we will let you in on the dating journey of your very own focus staff. So let's, um, I mean, let's give you guys some space. I mean, you guys are going to be up and improving and... Okay, do we have this? Oh, this mic, Jess, Sarah, do you want a mic? Or do you want to share that one? Okay, cool. They'll be sharing a mic together. Well, you guys should each have a mic. So, okay. Okay, so we're actually going to have <laughs> the, the scene is coming up at the second point, okay? Just so all you right. all know. Okay, so our first link oh, before. Somewhere. So they'll be acting not through all of these points, but with some. So we'll let y'all know when. Okay, so for your first blank and dating for dummies is... There is just one right person out there for everyone. You know, this one, I think there's a part of part of us that that wants to believe that this is true, but if it is, I'm like, okay, so you're hoping that they're in Garland, Texas, and how like, you know, what mile radius are you like willing to, you know, like what 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 is your expectation? But yeah, the but the thing is, what's that quote from Rick Watts? <laughs> he said, "There's, there's a, lot a of cookie, cookie on every shelf." There's a cookie on every shelf, and that's how we approach date like dating. There is, there's a people are cookies, and there's a lot of them to choose <laughs> But yeah, I think yeah, I think with this we we use examples of like Adam and Eve. We're like, where is our Adam? Where is our Eve and stuff? But. But yeah, the thing is that there's a lot of people that we can be dating and be a good match with. And the important thing is here that it's like, yeah, love, like you don't just meet someone and they're like, oh yeah, I see the full picture of love. Like, by, like I don't, I don't believe that. <laughs> and I don't think you shouldn't, you shouldn't either. But the thing is like, yeah, once you meet someone, the love, your love, uh, the, the image of love does grow and you can make it work with that person. It's a wrap. Oh, okay. For the second thing. This is where you guys are going to do some improv, okay? So this is, remember, this is an anonymous staff story. And this is for the second blank, which is love is enough. Sirak, do you want to read this or do you want me to? Yeah, let's, let's do it. So the first scene is, this is for Sarah and Austin. Yeah, duh. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah, the first, sorry, I was talking to Brandon. What would you say? Oh, yeah, I could read it. Yeah, I could read this one for love is enough. So, <clears throat> scene. I so strongly believe in big romantic gestures that on my first date with a girl, I took her out to an authentic Mexican food restaurant after she told me, after she told me that it was her favorite. 
It's pretty good. This is this is my favorite. I can see why. I'm so glad you took me to my to Mexico. Yeah. So authentic. I wasn't expecting Little that. Little Mexico and DFW. Yeah, but yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird though, because what what's your name again? Doesn't matter. This is delicious. So true. <laughs> We climbed 35, 35 flights of stairs at a skyscraper in DFW so we could get a view of the city on a rooftop. Just the two of us. I promise it'll be worth it. The, okay. the view is beautiful. <laughs> but all the skyscraper doors ended up being locked. Okay, I they so said it would be open. So they said they said it would be open. Okay. The stairwell's nice, though, right? Yeah, can you call someone? No service. So. We went back to my small apartment to watch a movie, and I quickly learned that all of the authentic Mexican food we just ate oh, wasn't sitting well with okay. me. All right. Well, hey, why don't you uh, pick something, and okay. I'm just going to be I'm just gonna be right back. And okay. I will. Um, this apartment's really small. <laughs> I quickly excused myself and went to the restroom. The poor girl listened to my explosive. For the next oh. 10 to 15 minutes. <laughs> Good job, guys. Good job. Good job, guys. All right, let's go on to the next one. Yeah, do you think and, and so, yeah, this one is love is enough to keep us together. It's just that even if you have, it's, it, it's, it's remembering that the causes of separation and divorce are so much bigger than just, oh, we love each other, so let's, let's sweep under all of these issues under the rug. Finances are a huge cause of divorce. Um, the, and, you know, the Bible talks a lot more about money than romantic love. Communication is also another huge issue. So, so for those of you who believe, oh, we love each other, and that's just enough to keep us together, then that's a myth. And there, are lots of, there are a lot of biblical principles that teach and um, help us know what it means to keep and maintain a biblical relationship. And love is a deep component of it. But the myth of our culture that it's all we need to keep us together is, is a myth. Yeah, the next blank is I have sexual needs. One of my favorite things that, <laughs> that, that you guys ready to act this out? Just kidding. No. <laughs> That's why. Okay, one of my favorite things that Brandon has said on this talk is that, like, that sexual, <laughs> he's just like, he's like, yeah, we're not going to explode from not having sex. Like, if you're, you're going to be fine, you know, it's not, <laughs> nothing's going to happen to you. But yeah, but people live without sex for all sorts of reasons. It's easy to get confused about what we need versus what we want. But the truth is that God calls every single one of us to repress our sexual desires in various way, ways throughout our lives and even in marriage. And if you really think you can't live without sex, my response to you would be uh, that you maybe need to consider wise counseling. You know, that, that is an issue, and you probably need to talk to people around you about where does this desire come from, and why do I believe this? 
Our next thing. This next one is, if I follow my heart, it'll all work out in the end. If I follow my heart, it'll all work out in the end. And so this scene starts now. <laughs> I, once went, I once went out to dinner with guy number one, and it was nice. This is nice. This is it's, nice. it's really like, nice. Yeah. yeah. Enjoying <laughs> this. Then guy number two asked me out later and Hey, do you want to go out with asked me? me out later that he asked me out yeah. later that night and took me out to a rooftop and it felt like a dream come true. I love rooftops. This is a dream come true. <laughs> yeah, the view is great. Yeah, and, the, no and the stars are beautiful. <laughs> I knew some red flags about guy number two, that he said his least favorite part of himself is that he's single and that he was interested in dating a lot of my friends. But... I hate being single and I want to date all your friends. <laughs> That's a red flag, but... And then I went on several marathon dates with him over the next two weeks. I love marathons. <laughs> and then, then guy number one from the first date decided to ask me out on a second date two weeks later. Hey, I was thinking we should go on a second date. I told him no. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, back to guy number two and I. Rooftops. Oh, marathon. <laughs> running on roofs. <laughs> I began to see that guy number two and I were not that good, fit, good of a fit either. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but guy number two and I dated for another three months. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Man, I'm getting tired of this. I mean, uh, the marathons, the dates are great. What about my friends? And then guy number two broke up with me for incompatibility. They're really great, actually. So. And scene. Good job, guys. Good job. And so this one is, if I follow my heart, it'll all work out in the end. Has something you knew was bad for you ever, has it ever felt right? Sure, yeah. Has doing what you know is right ever felt wrong? The heart is deceitful and we all know it from firsthand experience. We just use this one when it's convenient. Follow my heart and it'll all work out in the end. And we aren't consistent with it. If I used this to never study again because I'm lazy, I wouldn't go around bragging about it. So thank you for the situation, anonymous staff. We see you and we love you. So, Sandra, we're going to need to fly through a couple of these and may maybe skip a scene. Okay, okay. So, uh, or, or two, so, yeah. Go okay, aw. Thank you. Okay, let's do, the, let's do this last scene, then, for number, for number five. Okay, romantic movies, books, and shows reflect, reflect real life and love. Okay, this is for Austin, for a start. In high school, I was a follow-my-heart kind of romantic. There was one time I got the idea that I would throw rocks at this girl's window at night and then just kiss her out of nowhere. So I decided to do this. Oh, okay, all right. Um. <laughs> Can't wait to kiss this girl out of nowhere. <laughs> we started dating after, and then after one month, I realized I wasn't even really interested in her. <laughs> but she really liked me. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, I, 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 I really like you too. Uh, I obviously wanted to date you, so I threw the rocks. So this is going we exactly like planned. We dated for like ten planned. months before 
Yeah, wow. I finally broke it off. Oh, wow. It's, uh, it's really been a good 10 months. It's, uh, but it has been good enough 10 months, I think, probably. Um, no more rocks in your life. <laughs> and see? Right. <laughs> okay, I know that this is from a staff member, but it doesn't actually like, like it, it kind of looks like a movie scene. Like, you know, a guy throwing rocks at a window and then just going for the kiss. Um, you know, maybe they like break up a couple times and then they end up in the in the end of the movie. But but yeah, we have to be careful what we consume. This is what this point is about. I don't think our intentions in watching romantic movies is to like recreate those storylines or to expect those storylines. But I think that there's like a part of us that really like desires that, and or we want to feel what we like perceive that that you know that person felt in that movie, which they were acting. Um, a couple, you know, uh, I think it was last week I recently watched uh, Made in Manhattan with uh, my roommates and some girls. And, you know, like, I don't, like, want to recreate, like, being a maid in New York. Like, that's not it. Like, that's not what I want to do. But I want, I think there's a part of me that's like, yeah, like, but what if, you know, what if, if a rich politician just comes to the hotel at the hotel that I am working at? Like, that could happen. Um but yeah, but we are influenced by that. We are influenced by the way that love is portrayed in media. So yeah, so romantic movies, books, and shows reflect real, real life and love. And I just want to remember, these are dating for dummies. So me, the, these ideas are kind of dumb, but are not true. And this next one is, we're just talking. We're just talking. Or you know what? I've, I'm, I'm hearing variations of it now. I'm here like, we're just snapping. We're just... We're just, uh, I, don't, I don't I can't really think of any other ones, actually. But, but the reality is, is, this is what I want to say to you. If you're interested in someone, ask them out on a date. Just ask them out. And when you're on that date, get to know them. Ask some, some questions. Don't, con don't build this artificial world where all your relationship only exists here. I, I think technology is a gift in terms of, yeah, connecting us and um, and bringing us closer together in, in, in some ways. But in other ways, technology is a way of separating us and keeping us from getting face-to-face. -face. So you're not just talking. What you're doing is you're creating a trial period where no one, quote-unquote, gets hurt, and you don't want to make yourself vulnerable to put yourself out there so they can see who you really are. Mm. Get to know them. Spend time with them. And then discern if you want to go on another date or continue to get to know them. And that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> yeah, so we're flying through. We did say goodbye to Sarah and Austin, so let's give a, a round of applause for that. Okay, Sarah, come closer to me now. You can, we don't need to be far apart. <laughs> yeah, let's move closer together. You can go. You can go. Okay, so this next one is, I just don't like labels. I just, oh, yeah, y'all related to that. So if you guys are interested in someone that wants to play the no labels card, I would say run away. That is a huge red flag. You know, avoiding labels is the same thing as being dishonest. By choosing to not call it dating, you are setting yourself uh, for more dishonesty in your life. And that's all I have to say about that. You know, there, there has to, if somebody says that, I would ask more questions. And if you're the one saying that, I'd be like, okay, why am I saying that? Like, am I trying to have five not-girlfriends girlfriends or, like, what's going on? So, yeah. The next one is I'm ready to choose my mate. My question is, is have you refined your quote-unquote picker? Do you have a non-negotiables list? 
Maybe, maybe you can start arranging your own marriage, figuring out the things that you like, having a vision for the life that you want to live in, in, in Christ. And the question is, is, do you even like the right things? Are you even attracted to disciples? Do you have a realistic view of the opposite sex? Or are you too influenced by pop culture or pornography? How's your track record so far? Are you ready right now to pick your own mate? There's no shame in that question. If the answer is no, then I believe that God can, can develop you and, and develop that discernment to help you. The yeah. next one. Oh, you, yeah, yeah the next one is I just have to wait on God to bring me the perfect person. I just have to wait on God to bring me the perfect person. I think we convince, us, convince ourselves that this sounds spiritual. You know, it's, it's a very convenient way for us to avoid um, any sort of growth from our part. And there's also, like, no immediate risk taken. But, yeah, the thing that I have to say with this is that dating and dating uh, all sorts of people can be a refining process for us. This doesn't mean we just, like, sit down and relax and we do no growth. It's like, but dating can actually help us grow. Want to go to the next one? This next one is, I'm going to marry the person I'm dating. I'm going to marry the person I'm dating. Well, this idea is kind of dumb because maybe, maybe you are, maybe you're not. But are you actively discerning the process of dating someone to discern that question? I mean, obviously, I wouldn't date someone without knowing in the back of your head that this could be a potential person for me to marry. But to date with the mindset of, oh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a done deal. We're three months in, and we're both into anime. I know we're going to get married. That's, that's unwise. Not to mention compromise, compromising on boundaries, infatuation with reality, or even getting to a point where you're like, I can't envision life without dating this person. Those are all unhealthy myths. Go for it. Yeah, the next thing is you have to be married to be fulfilled. Yeah, I mean, this is, goes back to our earlier point that Jesus and Paul both, uh, they commend singleness as well as marriage, that both are equally important. I don't really have much to say to, uh, to say on this other than, like, it's only Jesus brings fulfillment in our life. And if you're looking for marriage to do that for you, then you're making a, you're making a big mistake. The next one is, once I get married, life will get easier. Once I get married, life will get easier. It actually will get more complex. It may get harder in some ways. But some things may get easier, sure. But if you think of mm -hmm. the arc of your life from the time you were an elementary student until now, life is kind of, it's getting more complex. The more you learn, the more people that you interact with, the more ideas you're exposed to, things get complex. In fact, I have friends that are married that are beginning to have kids, and many of them are, think, are thinking, whoa, like my kid is not what I thought my kid would be. And life is now maybe harder than they thought it would be. But harder doesn't mean bad. Harder doesn't mean worse. Go for it. He or she will change. Or even worse, I'll change him or her. You know, I'll do focus on Jesus with them and they will change. <laughs> Teach them everything I know. Like, no, that is a lie. Change 
the, the truth is that change can be very slow. People in dating, they always put their best foot forward. You know, they want to show you their good side and their best side. But then there's some things that won't change or that will take a long time to change. So don't trick to your, don't, don't uh, trick and, you know, into believing, trick yourself into believing that you can change them. That's something only God can do. The next one is Song of Solomon gives great dating and marriage advice. Song of Solomon gives great dating and marriage advice. While Song of Solomon may give us a vision of romantic love, that doesn't mean love like that sets us up for success in marriage. And I think it's important to remember who wrote it and how his life turned out. Scripture doesn't address dating or even say very much about marriage, certainly not modern 21st century Western American dating. But it does say a lot about what it looks like to be a man or a woman of God, and it says a lot about discipleship. I think we need to pull that into the way that we learn about dating. Okay, this next thing is, I know this one couple who did dating and courtship marriage a certain way, and it worked out great for them. So the question I would ask here is, how similar is their situation to yours? You know, I think that there's sometimes that we elevate these stories of our, our parents or our grandparents that dated for a short time um, and got married, then they are still married, which is great. But, you know, they're, they're different times. <laughs> you know, I, I know uh, my, at least my grandparents, a lot of their reasons for getting married were financial reasons, where they just come from a big family and their parents couldn't feed them. So it was like the best thing for them was to get married. So think of that. Like how similar is your situation to those stories and time and complexity and even like maturity? This next idea is, when I find the right person, we'll live happily ever after. I feel like I don't even need to elaborate on, on that one. <laughs> when I find the right person, we'll live happily ever after. Again, when we decide to follow Jesus, Jesus often paints a picture of, if you follow me, life will be harder. Life will be a challenge. But like I said earlier, harder doesn't mean worse. Challenge doesn't mean worse. Challenge doesn't mean bad. And I, and, I, and I think when you're in a relationship, maybe a challenge is good for you. Maybe happily ever after is probably the worst thing for you. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, this next thing is I know him or her better than anybody else. Ooh, my statement to that, okay, do you want that? Like, you want to be the only person that knows them? Um, and, of course, in, in, in dating and relationships, there are going to be only, a, like, aspects that only you know in dating but my hope is that whoever you choose, like, they have friends, they have communities that know him, that know him or her, and that they're known also by their families. And if you do actually know them and anybody else, like, that to me is a red flag, or it means they're kind of boring, you know, if you know everything about them. So, yeah. And the last and final one for our section is, I'm really mature for my age. I'm really mature for my age. Here's a rule of thumb. Really mature people don't tell people that they're really mature. <laughs> Amen. In fact, most mature people are deeply aware of the areas that they're immature. The most brilliant people are aware of the areas that they don't have an expertise on, and they're willing to admit that before they begin talking about it. So I'm really honored that we get that Sandra and I got to speak on this topic with you. 
We'll be around throughout the weekend if you have any questions and wanna talk. This is a topic that our focus staff love talking about. We believe in discipleship in this area of our lives tremendously. And we really wanna say that we have tremendous grace and empathy for all of the students in our ministry that are learning this. So thank you guys for, ha for having us and Brandon and Garrett are up, up next. Okay. All right, so we're going to take a 10-minute break. So it's 11.03. We're going to come back. We're going to aim to be back at 11.13. We have snacks out there. We also have snacks out here. So if you want to move, we don't have to all clump at that door. Enjoy your break.
Be he's right there. Oh, holy moly. All right. You guys go ahead and come on in, sit down. I'd rather have that attachment. Everybody can find their seats. That'd be wonderful. Was it? Brett? <laughs> All right. Okay. I don't think I'm on. Hello? Here you are. Hello? 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 All Hello? right. You guys go ahead and come on Hello? in. We're going to start Hello? here right now. So go ahead and take your notes out. Have a seat. All that jazz. Hello, hello, hello. All right. So yeah, um, Garrett and I are gonna do uh, something a little bit different. Thanks to Sirac and Sandra for kind of laying groundwork. And I think there was a, a lot of helpful stuff there just in terms of how we think about things and, and starting to kind of plow up some of the, the hard packed earth there. Uh, where we wanna start is with some scriptural principles. And kind of looking to the scriptures, uh, what we're not going to find are, where are the verses on dating? Dating was not uh, a thing in the ancient world. Um, and, and really, I think it's hard for us to sometimes realize, um, given the fact that this is what we've grown up with and seen, that it's not even, it's not a thing much throughout history. Uh, it's very recent, the way we date and choose our spouses. Uh, and it's not even a thing all over the world today. Um, and so it's, it's very localized, both in time and place. Um, that doesn't mean it's bad or good. Um, so is the iPhone, you know, very localized. It's not everywhere, and it's very recent. But, um, and, and we could say that, yeah, that's been a, a good development. But it also has its own dangers and its own problems, and we're still figuring some of those out. So what we will find in the Scripture are timeless principles that can guide our way of thinking, things that are rooted in God's character. And then we have to figure out how we work those things out uh, in context. So uh, principle number one, I think we're going to put these scriptures up on the screen. Is that the plan? I don't know. Great. Um, principle number one is considering more people than myself or even than just my significant other. Um, I think sometimes we think, oh, I'm being selfless because I'm thinking about this person I'm dating. Um, but that is, again, God doesn't call us to just think about ourselves or just think about ourselves in one other person. Remember when Jesus is commenting on the Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about people who, you know, uh, love their families and hate their enemies. What does he say? Even the pagans do that. Like, that doesn't make you like God. You know, it's a disdainful thing. And yet that to us is the highest order of Christian dating. You know, so what Jesus has disdain for. We are supposed to be like God who cares about everyone, who sends his reign on the righteous and the wicked, as Jesus says. So let's start with Philippians 2, 
verses three and four, which maybe I should have pulled up somewhere. Um, so I'll read this first one here. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So, so this is one of, of Paul just talking about Christian community, what it means to be a Christian, how we think like a Christian. And he says, it starts with not looking only to our own interests, but to the interests of the others, plural. And then John 13, uh, this is the, the scene where Jesus is, is washing people's feet. Um, and he says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And the principle I would, I would pull here is that what Jesus was doing in washing feet was taking the nature of a servant, that he would uh, put other people above himself, other people's needs above his own ego or his own desires. Uh, it's interesting because John, John starts that foot washing thing by saying, because Jesus understood who he was and where he was going, he got up and took off his outer clothing and wrapped himself in a towel. That, that this act of service came from understanding who he was. It wasn't, a you know, oh, well, I don't really get that I'm God. It's like, no, because I understand that I'm above, you know, and, and so privileged above these people, I choose to serve them. And so I think this this you know, has all sorts of implications. Basically, everything we're going to talk about today is about this principle. Uh, but I do want to highlight a couple of things. One, we're hearing more and more uh, of this idea in our dating of, like, I'm, I'm just having fun. I'm not really going to, I don't plan to marry this person, you know, so it doesn't really matter what I do in this relationship. I think that is selfish and wicked. Wicked is the word that comes to mind. Because what we end up doing is we play with our heart or their heart, and, and often, you know, we do this to justify dating someone who doesn't love Jesus, isn't following Jesus, um, or that we know there's significant incompatibilities with, and maybe we even agree. Maybe we even have the conversation, oh, like, yeah, we're not dating for marriage. We're just dating to have fun. But, but what inevitably happens is someone's heart gets tied up in it. And then, and then we break up because we were just having fun, but, but they had moved beyond that. And so you, you're risking someone else's heart, or you're risking your own heart as well, or you end up not breaking up, and there's the heartbreak that comes from bad marriages, from incompatible marriages, long-term incompatibilities within yourself. And so I think it's just selfish and short-sighted to play with someone else's heart like that. We have to be careful. I also want to add in what, what is famously called my wedding rant here. Um, because again, I, I, think, I think weddings are one of those things where we, we have decided somehow collectively as Christians, like, yes, definitely, God wants us to be selfless. He wants us to love others, but not on my special day. You know, and so somehow we think God's going to give us a pass because it's our wedding day. I don't think so. I did have a video, I think, that I enjoyed. So let's see if we can do this. Is that my whole thing? Okay. So, yeah, we, uh, you know, it, it is, it, you know, it, the, the world can see the weirdness of some of this. But I want to speak about it just pastorally from a Christian point of view. Because 
I do think it's important, and I, I take the opportunity here when I have my, my broadest audience, uh, because I want to sort of seed some ideas into our community. And I don't say any of this to, to step on people's toes. We, this is the whole dating thing. We're not trying to step on toes of people who've already done some of these things. Um, no one's going to do all of this perfectly. You know, there is no perfect. Uh, but there is the desire to do what's best and the desire to honor God and honor other people. And so our, our intent with all of this is to look forward, not backwards. But these wedding traditions really have gotten out of hand. They've become so selfish. We are supposed to look different, as Sirach and Sandra talked about, but we do the exact same things and then throw on this kind of Christian veneer to it. And all of it's driven by Hollywood and, and the weddings that we see on TV and in movies. Um, and it's driven by a wedding industry that wants to sell you stuff and make money. Hollywood also just wants to make money, you know, and they know what we will buy. And so it just gets more and more elaborate. And even just in, in my lifetime, and I'm barely over 40, I just have seen the, the cost of weddings, I mean, probably... Uh, probably 30 to 40 times more just in my life. Like the, the expectations are absurd. The weddings I went to as a kid were mostly just at the church building, have some punch and some cake, you know, and now that is not good enough for anyone. And I get that you've dreamed of your wedding, a lot of you, but we've all dreamed of stuff. And Jesus wants to give us new dreams, Dreams that are centered around loving God and loving others instead of just whatever it was sinful, selfish me came up with as a kid. So I want to talk about bridesmaids and groomsmen. This is one of my big pet peeves. So often, instead of, you know, honoring those who come to stand beside us, the people who've, you know, meant a lot to us, what we end up doing is demanding a lot from them in a spirit of entitlement we end up taking advantage of our friends. We act like it's this big honor to be in our wedding. And then we demand that people who can't afford to pay it pay hundreds of dollars to wear an outfit that we pick out for them. You know, matching is actually, has nothing to do with Christian. It's actually an ancient pagan tradition. It came from uh, the Roman Empire and this idea that uh, demons would come after the, the bride. And so all the women would actually wear the same thing as the bride to, to confuse the demons. Do you believe that? Is that why you do it? You know, I, I remember reading this article from Glamour magazine with this woman joking about, she's like, you know, we all do it for the pictures. She's like, when else in our life, we're like, I want to get a good picture with my friends. We should all wear the same outfit. You know, it's like, that's not our thing. But, but we've taken these things in, and then we sort of enforce them on everyone else. My advice to you is that if anyone asks you to rent or buy anything to be in their wedding, politely decline. That's, that's a forced gift. I think it's rude. I think it's rude and it's demanding. I don't think it's bad if you want to offer, you know, and if you offer and they want to take you up on that, that's great. But often we look and, and we think about what do I really want? What outfits do I really want in my pictures? You know, we look at our pictures so often, wedding pictures, you know, they're in a book somewhere getting dusty. And then, but, but our friends who are young people who can't afford it had to pay hundreds of dollars to do that. 
if you want to want to choose some people to stand by you, honor them. Honor them. Why did you ask them? I love the way, I remember uh, one of the first weddings in our community that I thought, you know, began a, a turn on this was uh, Lawrence and Sarah Glenesque. And I remember, uh, you know, I was one of his groomsmen. I remember him calling and asking me what clothes I already had and then figuring out something that would match that, that all of his groomsmen had and then buying us all a tie. So, we, you know, I was like, yeah, he wanted us to match, but he didn't make us pay anything for that. And then when we got to the wedding, we were surprised because instead of us just standing there, they spoke and honored each one of us of why we were there. I was like, man, this is a very different experience. And I've been in a lot of weddings. Um, you know, and then after they want you to buy or rent this useless outfit, we expect them to buy us a gift on top of that. And it's even worse for the women. It's multiple gifts. You got to buy a gift for everything, every shower, all this stuff. Guys, when giving a gift becomes an expectation, it ceases to be a gift. You know, it's sad sometimes in, in our churches, I've noticed that it's like half of the announcements to the women are about showers and buying people gifts. I'm like, is that our only pastoral word on what it means to be a woman of God? Is buying people more useless crap that they already have because we're all middle-class people? You know, I don't, these people are not like, I've never been able to open a can. I don't have a can opener. It's like, no, I just want a new, prettier can opener. You know, and that's okay if we want to give those gifts. We need to be careful about the expectation. Um, you know, all of this is tricky. We're navigating a lot of traditions and a lot of opinions when we plan a wedding. And there's a lot of parent stuff involved. But I just want to encourage you to look out for your friends and not just yourself. You know, this gift stuff applies to the engagement ring too. I had a guy in our ministry a few years back still trying to pay his way through school on loans, who bought his, his girlfriend a $16,000 engagement ring because, quote, it's important to her. Red flag! <laughs> You're setting precedence here. You know, again, it's, but this is the kind of stuff we want to impress our friends. We want to do all this stuff. That's, that doesn't honor each other. You know, what can you really afford? Get advice. I don't think there's a specific amount, but we need to be careful. And I see a lot of this changing in our community. And again, there are these expectations. One of the biggest challenges that we have are the expectations that come from parents and often um, the two mothers. But you've got to decide as a disciple, whose expectations do you want to meet? Your parents or God's? Whose expectations, your friends or God's? your fiancés or God's. Those are, those are tough decisions, but you've got to decide that ahead of time. Guys, too many of us are just passive in this process. If you wanna be a spiritual leader, start by leading your bride in selflessness. Don't let her become bridezilla. Don't support that crap, you know? And sometimes it goes the other way, but generally it's that way. You know, not standing up to our parents to protect our friends. Often it's the parents that drive this. No, you need to ask them to pay for this and that and da-da-da. And then sometimes the parents, you know, they're holding the purse strings. Well, if you, don't, if you don't do it my way, I won't pay for it. You know, and that makes it hard. 
But if you let your parents' money make you take advantage of your friends, then you just sold your friends for money. So I recommend you ask for 30 pieces of silver. Bachelor and bachelorette parties are my last thing. Again, guys, this is a gift. It's a gift that people are giving you to throw you a party. Stop being demanding and stop trying to compete with the world. Bachelor and bachelorette parties are just like the, the jokes we made about the, the first dates going to Italy or Mexico. It's like now everything has to be a trip, a four-day trip that they pay for. And by the way, you're paying for me too. Most of the people in our culture are in debt. Stop trying to be like them. Stop trying to imitate them. You'll end up where they are. You don't need to take a trip. You don't need to demand anything. I remember having a, a guy in our ministry who was um, going away, he was moving away, and uh, we were planning this, this uh, you know, going away party, and I mean, he did not like it. He did not like what we had planned and was doing all, and I, I just had to sit him down and say, like, number one, have you ever been to a party we planned for someone where they weren't honored and it wasn't special? And he was like, no. And I'm like, but number two, this is a gift. You don't get to demand what it is. Like, we will do something really neat for you. We love you, but this is gross. You know, and, and he really backed off of that. He saw the ugliness of it. I remember one of the guys that are, you know, often in our, our community when at their bachelor parties, uh, I don't know if the, I don't hear this as much from the bachelorette parties, but we spend time honoring the, the groom-to-be and just sharing the things that we see in them. Um, but I remember one of the guys, like, giving us this laundry list of what we were going to do at his bachelor party. We're going to do this and this, and then y'all are going to say nice things about me. And then this, I was like, whoa. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah we probably about that. will. Yeah. <laughs> but we need to be careful. So, again, we're supposed to look different. So just hear me on that and, and evaluate this wedding stuff when, it's, when and if it's your turn or as you're giving counsel to the people around you through the lens of Christ and honor people and be selfless. All right, that's all I'll say. All right, now I get to be good cop. <laughs> um, principle number two, you guys are looking down, not even a hint of sexual immorality. Oh, I guess it looks like I'm bad cop. Uh, so, <laughs> just joking. Um, I want to I want to to frame this idea of not even a hint of sexual immorality um, with with the with the truth, which is that God created sex. He wants you to have really good sex. I know that that's a little crazy to say, but as C.S. Lewis said, we serve a sexy God. That's C.S. Lewis, and if if that bothers you, that's a part of the problem with Christianity's inability to speak into the modern culture's problem with Christianity as being a religion that is basically associated with just repressing all of your sexuality and all of your sexual wants and that kind of stuff. But that's not what the scripture is on about. In fact, I think there's something deeply problematic with the, the fact that uh, a lot of us assume that the Lord has a greater interest in stifling our joy than he does in giving us uh, a perfect kind of joy. In fact, that is the problem in the Garden of Eden, isn't it? The problem that Adam and Eve butted up against is God wanted them to have life to the full and wanted them to have everything that he created that was good, and they decided to provide something for themselves instead. And that's what's happening whenever we have sex outside of marriage. And I need to make sure that you understand that this is the case. 
Sex outside of the context of a man and woman in marriage is sinful to God. All forms of it is sinful to God. And that is not just an Old Testament thing. It's not only in the New Testament. It is across scripture. And the reason for that is not so that God can stifle your joy. That is not it. It is rather that you can experience life to the full. I have never had sex with any other woman other than my wife. I've been, and I don't say that to say, look how great that I am. Trust me. I say that to those of you that burn with desire to have sex because you think that's going to give you fulfillment. I'm telling you, having been married almost a decade now, okay, I have not one time regretted that. Not a single time have I looked back on that with regret and thought, man, I really wish that I would have had more sex with more people. I have no baggage in that kind of stuff. I don't. And let me show you what healthy sexual morality leads to, okay? Can we get the pictures up on screen? That's right. Let me show you. This is my. Yeah, that's my girl. Yeah, that's them. So, without crying on the point of no sexual immorality, I'll just say think about how good of a Lord that we serve. That not only do you get to share in such an intimate, vulnerable experience with the person that you've hitched your wagon to for the rest of your life. But on top of that, on top of that great thing, because it's pretty great, on top of that, he also would seek to bless us with people that are the product of our love. That is what God wants for us in sex. He wants a deep, intimate connection with someone that we love, that we have decided to spend the rest of our life with. Anything else, sex outside of that category with any, for any other reason, is smoke and mirrors. It will leave you feeling empty. I have ministered to so many students and adults who look back on their sexual experiences with nothing but emptiness and shame and guilt. And if you're someone in here right now that has, that has experienced that outside of marriage, this is not about bashing you. The Lord forgives, the Lord shows mercy, but the Lord also looks at you like he looks at the woman caught in adultery and says, go and now leave your life of sin. Because he's inviting you into a fuller kind of life, a better sex. So whenever the scripture says, let there not be a hint of sexual immorality, it's not about stifling you. It's about God saying, wait for the full life to come. Don't give in to the cheap imitation. That is fake freedom, is what we call that at Colin, at least. And Ephesians 5.3 says this, and I'll wrap up with these scriptures. But among you, there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. And 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2 talks about treating our brothers and sisters in Christ as just that, brothers and sisters, until the day that they become something more, that one of them becomes something more to us. And that's the vision I want you guys to have, not that God's saying, just hold off because I don't want you having fun, but rather hold on for something that is far, far better than that. Yeah, and I, I think one of the challenges we have sometimes with this is, is 
we misunderstand this idea that like, oh, God wants what's best for you. He also wants what's best for us. And not all of his commands are for your personal benefit. Yeah. Uh, and one thing we've seen in our, you know, a lot of them are, are for our benefit, that, that we live in community, we affect each other. As we've said before, you know, God doesn't tell us not to steal because everyone who steals ends up in prison. He tells us not to steal partly because we don't want to live in a society of thieves, you know, where all property is up for grabs at all time, you know. And so there's this collective thing. And, and we've seen what's happened. If you study just a little bit, you know, the sexual revolution of the 60s broke down all these rules in our culture. And what have we found? The breakdown of the family. You know, so many kids not being raised in healthy families and the breakdown of a lot of different things. And that's a bigger thing. But there is a collective element to this. And that's, again, a part of our call to selflessness, that every, every law we have out there is not just about me and how to maximize me. Sometimes it's about how we live in community. Yeah, and, and as a final note there before we move on to this next principle, I would just say real love is predicated on an interest in other people's well-being and not on fulfilling your own desires. That's what our culture has made love, though. Culture is about fulfilling your desires. That's not what it is. It is predicated upon somebody else's well-being, and that's what healthy marriages look like, too. Okay, principle number three. As I become like God, I'll develop different ideas on what's attractive. So I want to look at a couple of scriptures and then comment on this. Uh, 1 Peter 3, 3, and 4. I'll just read from here again. Your beauty, this, he's actually talking to women here, but he says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. And so this is, you know, giving just one gender a, a, uh, an admonition on what we do to become attractive. Uh, and I think there's something helpful here. Let's look at the next one. First uh, Timothy 2, 8 and 9. He says, therefore, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, which I do want to comment here because this is our favorite modesty verse. It has nothing to do with bikinis, um, you know, and how much flesh we're showing. What does it have to do with? How expensive your clothes are among people who can't afford the same thing. You know, that this is, these women are flaunting their wealth in front of poorer women. And Paul says that's completely inappropriate in the church. And yet we've decided that the only modesty thing we need to be concerned with is how much flesh we're showing the men. And we don't care about the other women. We're here to impress. We're going to dress to impress. You know, and that is so rooted in a lot of our church culture. We don't want to do that. Um, And then he says, for physical training is of some value, But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. So all these things we're doing to pursue attractiveness are often just reflections of what the people around us find attractive, right? And and we have to be a people that is changing that. I'm not saying that you can, you know, go in your mind and like, let me just think about it, and I'll just be attracted to something totally different than what I am. There's some of this, we don't even understand what roots all it, but we do know it can change over time. It's like with Jesus. You know, most of the time when we start out, there are, there's something that we come to Jesus with that we find attractive in him, but then there's other parts that we find quite repulsive. 
you know, there's parts that are quite unpalatable. And we come to him because of what he can do for us, not because we've fallen in love with every aspect of his character. But as we grow in that relationship, as we mature over time, we begin to find the beauty in things that are actually beautiful. See, part of the problem that I have as a broken human being is that I like things that God detests. And that I kind of don't like things that God really loves. I think things are funny that I don't think Jesus would ever laugh at. You know, and, and a part of my maturity is not to just like double down on that and be like, well, this is the way I am. Jesus, deal with it. You know, but to become like him. You know, and so some of these things with your, your parents and elders at church and people like that, when they're like, that's not funny. And you're like, yeah, it is. You just don't get it. They do. They get it. They get it more than you do. They get why it's not funny. You know, they get why it's hurtful, why it's a product of our brokenness and not of our maturity. So we want to grow in those things. We want to figure out what does God really find attractive and fix our eyes on that. Fix our eyes on Jesus. You know, the more that we look at what's truly attractive, the more that will change our, our sense of beauty. All right, principle four. Be wise and get advice. Uh, there's a common misconception that pretty much every kind of learning in the world is simply just trial and error. Uh, that's the main thing, right? Like, I'm just going to have to do it myself and make my own mistakes. Maybe you've said or thought something like that. There's a word for people that do that. We call those people idiots. Um, <laughs> the Bible calls them fools. The Bible calls them yeah. fools. Actually, you know what? Let's put up Proverbs 12.1 real quick. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. So it's closer. I think it's closer to mine. And then uh, verse 15, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. The reality is this. There are definitely things in life that are trial and error. You know, we can never know the perfect right thing to do. But whenever we throw the baby out with the bathwater and ignore advice because we just know ourselves better, Right then we actually end up making tons of mistakes that we don't need to make. And then we act like somehow that's like a great overlay on our testimony. Like your testimony has to be that you just hit absolute rock bottom and ruined your whole life before coming to Jesus. We need more people who are willing to just listen to advice and follow Jesus. We need more people who don't have to have the rock bottom story, but rather who said, you know, I'm still a sinner in need of God. I'm an awful person in about a million different ways, but I tried my best to listen to people who were smarter than me, people who had a great lifestyle, people who really loved the Lord. And so it's like those people that take out, uh, they want to build a piece of furniture and they have the instructions right there. And they're like, nope, I got it from here. Thank you very much. And then they end up putting a leg on top and then they're, they're, all this they're like, I don't know what went wrong. If you're that kind of person, I want to invite you into the humility that it takes to say, maybe I don't know what's best. Maybe I, just in your heart right now, would you say that to yourself? Maybe I don't know what's best. Maybe I'm wrong about a bunch of stuff. Maybe I need help finding my way through this whole thing. Ephesians 5, 15, if we want to put that up there too, says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And then uh, finally in Hebrews 13, 7, 
Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And so it is important, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but it is important to consider the outcome of people's way of life and then imitate their faith. Be careful. Don't get advice from just anybody on these matters. Rather, think about the people who you are listening to. Do they have the fruit that shows that they know what they're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, the next one, uh, we don't belong to ourselves. Very very anti-American idea here. We don't belong to ourselves. The scripture actually says two things about this. Uh, One, let's look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Here he's actually talking about sexual immorality and why as Christians we don't engage in, in that. He says, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you and whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You know, that what Jesus did, we've sang about it all weekend, about ransoming us and stuff. It means he purchased us. You know, that Paul says, though I'm not a slave, I am Christ's slave. You know, I belong to him now. But then he turns and in, in Romans uh, 12, verse 5, he says, so though we in Christ or we in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. That in some sense, as an extension of belonging to God, of belonging to Christ, we belong to the body. And that's what he's calling them to a a selfless way of living, to bringing their best and not their worst to one another. And so I think it's a a principle we have to, to sort out because God still gives me stewardship over my body, my life, my decisions, but stewardship as someone who's taking care of someone else's property. And so I have to figure out what their priorities are. Yeah, principle six, it's a big one. Uh, the impact that we have on others is a big deal to God, the impact that we have. I'm gonna read through Matthew 25, 34 and following. Let's see if I can read it on that screen. Uh, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So there's there's something I think that we miss in dating oftentimes, and that is uh, the fact that maybe just maybe sometimes we're the bad guy in this scenario. Because in all of our stories, we're always the good guy. You know what I mean? And there's really, we're the only, our perspective is the only perspective or life that, that is going to be referenced in that category. In fact, I was recently sitting across the table from a friend of mine who's in his late 20s and he's dating. And he found this really great girl. I met her. She seems to really love the Lord. And he's like, he's like and he's, by the way, he's a serial dater. And when I say that, I mean, constantly hopping into serious relationships. And he said, he's like, dude, she's great. I kind of find that. And I go, there's no doubt that she's great. She does love the Lord. I don't think that you love the Lord. 
I don't think you're a good fit for her, not because she's not good enough, but rather because I would never tell my daughter, if she was my daughter, that she should date you. And I didn't say that to hurt my friend. Wounds from a brother can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. I told him that because he was doing this very thing. I think he's going to cause her to stumble and she doesn't see it. And that's a part of the problem. And oftentimes we're not thinking that we're so intensely self-referencing that we're not actually bothering to think, am I the kind of person that should be dating? Am I the kind of, am I in a good place? Do I actually love the Lord? Am I pursuing the right things in this relationship too? We're only acting as if they're the variable and we're choosing whether they fit it for us. And that's not good enough. Yeah. Are you going to do the other scripture? Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, I missed one. Uh, Matthew 18, six through seven. Uh, this is, this is a, a tough one to swallow. If anyone, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. That should make us very cautious about making others stumble. Jesus does take that personally, and that's, that's not just in regards to sexual immorality, but this is in regards to all things, that we should be careful not to cause our brothers and sisters to stumble. Yeah. And then the last principle here, that there's a problem when we are drawn to and impressed by people who don't love our Lord. There's a problem when we are drawn to and impressed by people who don't love our Lord. We all do this, but the answer is repentance. So let's look at what Paul is talking about in, in 2 Corinthians 6. This is going to have our, our famous... Um, you know, not being yoked with unbelievers. And he's not talking here first and foremost about marriage. He's talking about his relationship with this church and how they are impressed with non-Christians, but they're not impressed with him as, as a Christian leader. But I want you to hear his words to them, and then we'll think about how do we apply that principle in dating. He says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you, you, we are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I'll receive you. And I'll be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Make room for us in your hearts. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've exploited no one. See, he's, he's calling them like, you guys are, are reading this whole thing wrong. You're drawn to people that don't share your deepest convictions that don't share your deepest values, that don't love the one that you claim to belong to. 
and be following with all of your heart, and then you're not drawn to people who do share those things. How, how much more screwed up can we get? And again, we've all got some of this in us. I mean, we, we sense it when we just watch a, a Hollywood movie and, you know, root for the people to sin, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, why have they not slept together yet? What are they waiting on? They've known each other a day, you know? And I'm like, it's, but, but, but they know how to manipulate our emotions. And so we see this. But again, the, the answer here is repentance, not double down. Well, I guess this is the way I am. So off to hell, you know? It's like, that's not, our, that's not how we do this thing. Okay, so we're going to give some advice, and we're going to do this relatively rapid fire. We've got a bunch of different things. I just want to remind you, advice is advice. This is not about painting a picture of, you know, the perfect dating, and you're sinning if you don't do, maybe some of them, I don't remember all of them, but most of these, I'm like, it's just going to be, here's, here's the best wisdom we've gleaned over a lot of years. Our goals is that you can do what's best, that you mature as a disciple, that you learn selflessness through this process rather than being trained in selfishness, that you aren't just continually married someday, but that you have a great marriage that blesses you and your kids and the people around you, um, you know, that we have a ministry that cares for everyone, not just the sort of popular ones, and, and that we can figure out how to elevate the callings of both singleness and marriage in our ministry and as we go out in the, in the church as a whole. So you want to take the first one? Yeah. I stood up, by the way, because I have a grandpa back. And so, I know. I was feeling the exact same thank way. Thank you, okay? Just making sure that we're on the same page. The stool was a bad choice. Um, next time I'm going to get a recliner. I got to get <laughs> yeah. my recliner. Uh, so the first thing, we said this already, but be wise and get advice. And that's not just in dating. Ideally, that's in every area of life. That's not so that you can become someone who is, like, obsessed with making the perfect decision in every situation of your life, no matter what kind of stuff, because there, is, there isn't something that's like that. But rather, it's becoming the kind of person that pursues wisdom from people who know what they're talking about, namely. It amazes me how age has acted as it, we act as people that have age, that are older than us, somehow are wiser than us. So when we ask someone who's thrice divorced for dating advice because they're in their 50s, that we are like, well, they know by now they've made a lot of mistakes. That's a good idea. And again, I'm not making fun of those people. I'm really not. That is sad. That, that is tough. And that could have happened for any number of reasons outside of their control. What I am saying, though, is that we should look again, look at the outcome of their way of life and then imitate their faith. Look at people who have good fruit and who don't advise you to go against what you know actually pleases God. And a second thing, be weary of searching for people who will tell you what you want to hear. If you ask enough people, you'll find someone. So don't act like that is, oh, I'm just asking for a lot of advice. You're just shaking the, the magic eight ball until it gives you the answer that you want. Yeah. Yeah, and I, th I think, you know, a, a warning I would give all of you is one, one challenge inherent in our kind of ministry model and in the church at large is this kind of like, who is my mentor? I've got my one mentor. You need to be thinking in terms of building yourself a team of mentors, you know, and diversify your portfolio. Wise, yeah, you know, the people who are wise and that you can go to on a lot of things. Wisdom is found in all sorts of places. I I ask the students that I meet with their thoughts and advice on stuff, and sometimes I take it. Sometimes it shapes me, but I, I keep it in perspective because I'm asking a lot of people those thoughts. 
and I'm gonna weigh in their experience and their, but sometimes they ask the best question. So it's not about like, oh, I need to find the one wisest person and then obey them. It's not about that. It's about asking broadly, learning broadly, listening carefully to a lot of different people, but learning how to weigh that advice. Yes, does someone who's been divorced three times have something to teach me? Surely. Do they have some things to learn? Surely. Should I ask maybe a handful of other people? You know, this is where we get in trouble. You should always, if, if your parents love you and care about you and your grandparents, you should always listen to them. But, but you've got to listen to them and then weigh it in with everything else. You know, because often they're, you know, they have one marriage experience. You know, they know their marriage and they know their situation. But we have lots of different situations. I could tell hours worth of stories of different kind of, you know, tough sticky situations that happen between couples, experiences that the other person's had, all these kinds of things. And often we need a counselor or someone or a pastor who's worked with these things for years to be able to talk to us about what that might mean. You know, there's health situations. You know, I've had friends, parents who, you know, oh, don't marry that person. They have, you know, they have this health problem. Like, you don't want to do that. And they'll strongly, strongly, it's like, well, that's your choice. But you need to count the cost. You need to think about it. But it doesn't make it a bad thing to marry someone who has a health condition or someone who can't have kids or doesn't want to. You've got you to weigh all of this stuff in. So get a lot of advice from a lot of people and, and keep seeking out wise people the entirety of your life. You know, when you get out of college, you need to be thinking about having five or seven mentors, not one. Because one can die. One can move away. One can be busy when you really need them. You know, and if that's if you're lucky enough to find someone who has the time and care to meet with you one on one once a week for, you know, until you're 97. You know, it's like, but you got to find someone 98 because they got to be a little bit older. You know, it's like, no, you got to think broader than that. Okay. Big piece of advice arrange your own marriage. Arrange your own marriage. Uh, again, throughout history, most marriages have been arranged by other people. It's not personal selection. I am not for going back to that system. Um, I don't want to arrange any of your marriages. I didn't want anyone to arrange my marriage. But, you know, growing up, my two best friends um, were both from India, and both of their parents had arranged marriages. And I watched over the course of growing up, those marriages stay together, and so many of my Christians' friends' parents' marriages fall apart. And there is something, there's something there. You know, there's, there's wisdom in the ways that they look for compatibilities and things like that. And I've learned a lot about that system. Learn what you can from it. You know, take a step back, be objective. What would be the things, if, if a marriage arranger was arranging your marriage, what would they be looking for? What would be the kinds of things that would make a person compatible and start there? So, Again, it's not about giving your decision away. It's about making it with a different set of questions. Let's do it. Um, next one. Write your non-negotiables in negotiables. Um, you know, have, if anyone's ever gone to the grocery 